What we're doing today is something that I'm hoping we'll do again at some point. Um, our, our primary goal is to try and create some space for you to actually hear God in a very particular sense today. But I believe that God is actually wanting to encourage many of us to actually dream again, to, to actually try and hear Him again. I think especially of people that have uh, been disappointed, people who, who've had their hopes dashed, maybe you've experienced hurt in your life, or, 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 or just such a significant delay in, in the dream and in the hope that in many cases it's easier for us to actually rather not hope. It's, it's easier for us to rather not dream. It's easier for us to actually not even ask God. Because if we don't get our hopes up, well, then we're not likely to get disappointed. And, and the fear of being disappointed again, in some cases, is paralyzing for some of us. And so it's just so much easier to rather not hope, to rather not dream. But I want to encourage you that I think in so many cases, if we settle for that, if we give up on the idea of dreaming, um, I think we're actually cutting so much of the experience that God actually has for us. In a relationship with Him, we're cutting so much of it out of that because God wants to speak. We, we serve a speaking God. We serve a God who has great plans, great hopes for the future, something that He wants us to actually put faith into. Um, God, the, the journey that God's called us to does require faith. If we could do it all in our own strength, we wouldn't need God. If we don't need God, we wouldn't need faith. And so... I want to just share a few scriptures with you. This is also on the Version Bible app. Acts 2 verse 17. Um, just to give you some background before I read that, this is what, what many of us know as the day of Pentecost. Um, Jesus has already been crucified. He's resurrected. He's, he's kind of ascended up into heaven. And then sometime later, um, the Christians who, who stayed behind in Jerusalem, according to Jesus' instructions, they were praying together um, in this room. And, and then God actually sends the Holy Spirit and... Uh, he doesn't make them weird or, or strange. Um, he actually empowers them and he gives them a conviction. He gives them a confidence. And one of the things that happens is that Jesus, uh, sorry, is that um, Peter actually comes out kind of into the public area where people are, are hearing them speaking in tongues, which in that particular case simply meant other languages. And God had actually given this group of Christians the, the, the ability in that moment to actually speak in the languages of many other people that had gathered from around the world. And so these people are hearing people speaking things in their own language, and some of them are thinking they're drunk. Others are like, how do they know how to speak in my language? Um, and then Peter, knowing that he has their attention, I mean, just side note, Peter goes from a, a terrified follower who denied Jesus three times to, to being willing to stand in front of, I don't know how many thousands of people. We know that 3,000 actually responded. So 3,000 people decided to follow Jesus in response to the power of the message that, that Peter shared. But, but, but he's speaking to thousands upon thousands of people. And he says to them, amongst other things, what we're going to read in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters. So this is for everybody. All genders, all ages, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And Ivan can be encouraged by this. Your old men will dream dreams. Okay? Don't worry, Ivan. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to give us the ability to see the way that God sees. To see our families the way that God sees sees our families, to see the potential for the future, the way that God sees the potential for the future, to see your opportunities at work, the way that God sees your opportunities at work, to see your opportunities at school and at university and college through the eyes of God. He wants us to see 
Again, he wants us to see clearly. I think he wants us to see our community. He wants us to see our city. He wants us to see our country. Instead of just seeing through the eyes of media and the news reports, which in most cases really just feeds death inside of you, he actually wants us to be able to step back and pray and to see through eyes of faith, to see the way that God sees. I want to encourage you that God does have a vision, a dream, a plan for every single one of us. You may not feel that. You may not believe that. But you're allowed to be wrong. It's okay. I want to encourage you, though, that God has a vision and a dream and a plan and a purpose for every single person. In Jeremiah 1 verse 5, he's speaking specifically to a, to a young uh, prophet that he's trying to raise up. But this, is, but this is true, I believe, for every single person. I knew you before I formed you. I, I, want, to, I want you to notice the word I, right? I knew you, God is saying, before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. That means that God has a vision for you. He has a plan. He has a dream. Later on in that, in that, in that same book, um, God is speaking through Jeremiah. So you might think, okay, well, that's Jeremiah. Maybe God had a special plan for his life. But then later on in the book, Jeremiah is speaking for, on God's behalf. So he's prophesying to like the nation of Israel. These guys have actually rejected God. So just in case you, you're sitting here thinking like it's too late, I've done too much. Uh, I'm sure God had a plan, but I've, I've kind of run so far away from it. Well, then let me encourage you. That's exactly the group of people that this next verse is being written to, where they've, they've neglected and ignored and rejected and run so far from God that he actually took his hands of protection off of them and, and allowed them to be taken captive. This entire nation has actually been taken into captivity and it's actually in that context. A lot of people don't realize that that's the context that this verse is actually written into. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says to a bunch of captives, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster. You see, in their case, they might be thinking, well, well, look at where we are. Surely his plan is to kind of just mess us up, to punish us, to teach us, and maybe we'll grovel enough. Or he's saying actually it's not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. If you're still alive, it means that there's a future. There is a hope. In those days when you pray, a lot of people don't go on to the next verse. In those days when you pray, I will listen. And this is what I want to encourage you with today. If you will sit with a posture, if you will approach God with an attitude, with a humility, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If you look for me wholeheartedly, You'll find me. And I actually believe that there are going to be some of you here this morning that are going to be quite surprised at how God actually speaks to you, at, at the impression, the, the sense that you get from God. If you'll just turn your heart, your mind to where you're saying, God, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what this is meant to sound like or feel like, you know, to have a sense from you. But, but God, I want to hear you. Please, if you have anything to say, would you speak? You may just be surprised at how God honors his word, that if we will look for him wholeheartedly, we will find him. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things, look at that, that he planned for us long ago. He has planned things for you. He has planned a vision, a dream 
a hope, a future, a purpose. Some of you uh, may have uh, watched this movie several years ago. In 2008, uh, a movie called The Bucket List came out. Can I just see quickly who of you remember watching The Bucket List? Okay. Everyone that's not a teenager. Okay. So, so did you watch it, Ryan? Okay, but well, you're not a teenager technically either, are you? Are you still 19? No, 20. Okay. So, so the bucket list came out 11 years ago. And, uh, and, and I mean, the, the bottom line of the plot is you've got these two gentlemen that, that land up being given a terrible prognosis. They've only got six months to a year to live. And so uh, Morgan Freeman has, you know, had, had this list. Before he found out that he's only got perhaps a year to live, he started writing out a bucket list while he's in hospital. He's being treated for cancer. And so he kind of starts to write down um, things that he'd love to experience before he dies. And so the movie uh, pretty much you know, shows, shows these two men trying to get the most that they can out of life before they kick the bucket. Therefore, you know, the bucket list. And I'm not necessarily recommending it to you. There are some you know, words and thoughts that maybe aren't, aren't completely kosher. But, but, but the bottom line of uh, the movie, which I think is good, is that it, it kind of gets this message across that you can jump out of plane. Because uh, Jack Nicholson's character is loaded. He's got all the money to do what, whatever you want to do anywhere in the world. So they, they literally go flying from Egypt to the Himalayas to, uh, I think, even Africa at one point, all over the place. But, but the moral of the story eventually comes to the point where they're saying, you can have all the fun, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee fulfillment. And so it comes back to their relationships and this kind of thing. So, so it's a pretty good moral to the story. But I love this idea that, that we can actually put a list together, that we can actually dare to dream. And I'm not saying that everything that you write down is going to come to pass. I'm not saying that everything you write down is going to be God's will. Uh, I'm not saying that, that God will be held to ransom if, if, if we put down a wish list. But I, but I think you can put down a wish list. And I think you can surrender it to God. If you're approaching that with an attitude that says, God, I mean, I don't know if you want this and if this would be okay, but if it is, I would sure like to have X, Y, Z. And were you actually putting a dream list together? That's the one side. But on the other side, I want to encourage you to have ears to listen and say, God, is there anything that you want to stretch my faith towards? Is there a kingdom vision? Is there, some, is, is there something that, that is so on your heart that you want me to trust you for something that actually in the natural is completely impossible? So I want to be clear. You're allowed to put a wish list together. Don't hold God a ransom. Surrender it to him. I love that even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane can say to his father, like, if there's any other way, like, I would really like, I, I have a different preference. Yet, not my will, your will be done. So if that's the humility with which we approach that, then I think you're in good space. But I also think that for every one of us, God has a godly dream list where he's saying, you need to hold on to that for all that is worth. You need to do everything in your strength and in your power to to make the progress that you can, but then you're going to get to a point where you can't do anything more and you need me to turn up. If you don't need God, then I would argue that it's not a God dream. If you don't need faith, if it doesn't generate a little bit of, when I say fear, I mean like anxiety, nervousness, like, yes, God, I don't know how that's going to happen. Well, then you probably don't need God. And I think God wants us to be open to Him putting things into our hearts that actually require Him so that we don't just survive. There, there will be a tension there will be a tension as you, as you put certain things down on your list that, that maybe you feel God's prompting you towards, but you're saying there is absolutely no way to make this happen. 
And I've got to tell you, for my personality, I, I prefer what I can understand. I prefer what I can plan for, what I can work hard for. Okay, if, we dil- if we're diligent here, yeah, if we sow there, if we do that, okay, we can make that happen. It's, it's very, my personality struggles with the above and beyond part. I remember many years ago, uh, we were still living in, in, in a very small flat. We had one child at that stage, and um, Sue... Uh, who was very materialistic? No, I'm joking. Uh, Sue, Sue, Sue had a, had a desire for us to actually get a bigger house or to have a house, um, any house, just a house. Uh, you know, where you don't hear the people going to the toilet next door because the walls are so thin, and not to mention other things. They're gone. Um, and and I've got to tell you, my my instinctive response was like like I don't want to be presumptuous. I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to. So, so I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just trying to see in case you relate to any of these things. God, I, I don't want to, I, like, like, I'm just grateful that we have what we have, and, and we want to, you know, just do what you want us to do. And, it's, and, and in some ways, that might sound very humble and sober, and in some ways it is, but in other ways, um, I also think that I was stopping myself from giving God the chance to actually do what He wanted to do. So we, so we, so we started looking. Um, Sue with a lot of faith, me with a lot of caution, you know, into, into the, the, the idea of, of a house. And we spoke to an estate agent that was in the church. And, and again, we're looking, we're looking within the means of what we think we can afford, which wasn't much. And, um, and then for some reason, this estate agent told us to, to take a look at Garden Cities. Those of you that know Garden Cities, which, which in our case is Sunningdale, know that, that people, I don't know if they still do, but at that stage, people would literally camp outside the offices um, from the day before I mean, literally, they would camp um, before the day where the list would come available so that they could get their names on the list. Like, it just wasn't something that you got your name on unless you were like those lunatics that wait for the iPhone launch, you know, and they stay for three days before him or the tickets to some crazy concert. So, so she's like, well, why don't you just, just go and ask the guys? Now, again, you have to understand. I'm saying, okay, God, I'll do. I know this isn't going to be work. You know, this isn't going to work out. This isn't worthwhile, but... I'll, Let's at least be diligent and go and chat to the guys at the Garden Cities. So at least I can like tick that off and say, yeah, we did it, next. And so as we spoke to the guys, um, it turned out that actually two houses, you know, two applications had fallen through, and so they actually had two places available. We are like, that's interesting. Then they told us the price. I was like, next? You know? <laughs> and uh, anyway, long story short, we, we did the sums, and the bottom line is that we could afford two-thirds of the home. That's, that's, that's what our budget could afford. And I think, this was, I think this was literally Monday, and they needed an answer by Friday. I'm like, why wait? Anyway, we, we, we landed up looking around. Um, another friend of ours knew that, 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 that we were looking at the same time, so he was kind of aware of what was going on. The, the bottom line, by the way, by the way, I remember driving. And actually, you know you have those thoughts that you're not proud of, where you do calculations? And I remember driving one day thinking, you know what? Like it was a quick thought. Don't get worried. It was like a very quick thought. Like a brief, brief thought. Where I thought, you know if I look at, at, at what we give in our tithe, you know, what our tithe is every month, and if we put that towards a bond, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm already making it sound longer than what it was. It was like a quick thought. But, but, but anyone else do the maths? Right? I was like, yeah, that, that would make up the difference on the bond over the next 20 years. Okay, so that payment, so if we, if we, didn't, if we put that tithe towards that, that would, that would make up the difference for the next 20 years. But, but you know when you have the thought, and almost as quickly as you have it, the Holy Spirit's like, don't be stupid. Like, who's your provider? And long story short, by the end of that week, so that was Monday, by Friday, we had the other third given to us in cash, and God showed us that He can do in five days what would take us 20 years 
if, if we were going to try and do it our way. And, and I'm telling you, that did something in my mind and in my faith to say, God, how dare I ever limit you? How, again, I don't want to hold you to ransom. I don't, have to, I, don't, I don't ever need to manipulate you. But God, I don't want to ever limit you. Um, you. You're putting something in our heart that we can surrender to you. And if you want to show up, you can show up. And that gave me, I think that helped a lot when it came to the faith that we needed for, for land. To move into a space like this. Where we needed a hang of a lot more than what I needed <laughs> in, at that particular moment. But, but because we saw God come through for us, the way that we saw God come through for us in the paddocks, where, where, where at the time we were the small roaming gypsy church that was moving from place to place, and, and, and the idea of moving into paddocks was exciting until we heard that the rent at that stage, uh, this is many years ago, the space that we wanted, the people before that were paying in, in the region of 120,000 rand a month for the rent. We are like, I mean, we, again, we were too embarrassed to even ask whether or not they would consider it. Again, in the end, they landed up giving it to us for 7,000 rand a month at that stage, which is what we could afford at that stage. So, so, when, so, so seeing these things in our lives, seeing God come through for, for this church where, again, the size that we were, the income level that we were, we, we, we weren't boxing above our weight. It was like we weren't even in the same hemisphere. And again, the way that God came through over and over and over again, I just want to encourage you that even though there may be a tension, God, I think, wants us to trust Him for dreams that, are, that require Him to do the impossible. Ephesians 3 verse 20 tells us, Now to Him who is able, He is able to do immeasurably more. Or some of the older versions say exceedingly, abundantly more than all we ask so we're not even willing to ask. It's so big. Or even imagine. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So very quickly, there are five uh, types of people. Um, I, I imagine sitting here today, and some of us might fall into more than, than one of these categories, but the first is those of us that have no dream. For whatever reason, maybe life has knocked the stuffing out of us, but there's just no dream. It's, it's too intimidating to even think. It's too intimidating to ask, to pray. And the problem with that is that, is that we can then just drift. We can just survive. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says that where there is no revelation, or where, some versions say where there's no vision, people cast off all restraint. Like we just, we just throw off any sense of purpose or direction. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. In the message version, it puts that same verse this way. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. You may think, I need marriage counseling. God may say, you need a vision. You may say, I need a promotion and I need extra income. God may be saying, no, no, you need a vision. You actually need to dream again. You actually need to hear me again. But when they attend to what he reveals... So when we are diligent, as we, as we give attention to what he reveals to us, to, to where he's telling us to dare to dream, they are most blessed. I want to encourage you to move beyond just surviving, just paying bills, just, just, just making sure that the kids behave and you don't beat them up too badly. I'm saying, guys, we've got to actually trust God for more than that because Hebrews 11 verse 1 tells us that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. 
It is the evidence of things we cannot see. In other words, when we have no faith, we have no hope. If we don't actually have faith, we don't have hope. If we're not trusting God for something, if we're not having to exercise faith towards something, we're giving up on hope. So what do we do if you don't have a dream? I love this. God tells us in Jeremiah 33 verse 3, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Can we have that posture today? God, I'm going to call on you. I mean, even if you're sitting there, you can be looking at me, but it's okay. You can put the screensaver on while you're saying, God, like, I need to hear you. In fact, I need to hear you now. I don't want to wait for this afternoon or this evening or tomorrow because you know that based on history, that's not going to happen. So God, right now, I need to, God, I'm calling on you. I need a dream. I need a list of things that I can trust you for. I want to encourage you, not just now, but as a, to make it a daily habit of saying, God, I want to hear whatever you want to say. I want to live the life that you have planned for me. The second group of people that, that could be at this morning are, are people that actually have the wrong dream. It's not necessarily a bad dream. It's maybe just not the right dream. It could even be a, a good dream. It's just not a God dream. So, so, so for you, it, it might involve something like, if I can just have that, that career, and nothing wrong with the career, but, but you need something bigger than a career. You need a calling. You see, a, a career is something to live on. So it'll provide the income, it'll provide the compensation to live on, but a calling gives you something to live for. How sad that so many people will live decade after decade after decade just trying to make the career better, getting the promotion, which really involves more pressure, more stress, so that we earn a little bit more compensation so that we can, so that we can try and, and just, just survive, pay bills, maybe get away once in a blue moon for a holiday. Guys, if that's all you're living for, you're going to find it very unfulfilling. A career is something to live on but a calling something to live for. And, and obviously our stories are all very different. I can only tell you that for me, I, when I finished school, I, I only ever had really one plan, kind of in my, in my teenage years, and that was just to simply go into business. My dad was a business uh, guy, and, and so the plan was to go do a BCom, and then, and then there were some very wild dreams of maybe doing postgrad studies overseas. I don't know how I ever thought we'd afford that, and it wasn't like a God faith, it was just a perhaps a naive optimism. Um, but, 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 but there was no real vision. It was just, well, that's what we'll do. I'll go study, do the BCom, which, which is what I started. And then only a few, a few months into that first year, um, God arrested me, is all I can tell you. I was sitting, I was actually not sitting, I was standing in a church one night, not because I wanted to be there, just I wasn't going to have an argument with my family. Like, this is what we do, so I'll go to church. Which is why we're talking about habits over the last little while. That's why it's good to have a habit like that because there may just be a day, even if you're not wanting to be there, where God actually speaks to you. And all I can say is God spoke to me. And, and I just realized a whole bunch of stuff. And then I got onto a camp the next week. God met with me in the most dramatic way and, and honestly changed my life. And over the next um, uh, year or so, I, just, I was like, how have I missed this all my life? Like kind of growing up in church. And, and 
And slowly but surely, I just wanted to be a part of helping other people experience this. There wasn't that Moses moment. There was no burning bush. In fact, I was actually very insecure about all of this for, for at least the first five years of being in the ministry. But there was this sense, there was this desire, God, whether I do that full-time or whether I can get a job that can allow me to, to help people, I just I want to be able to help people experience what I've experienced. And long story short, um, through a series of events, I landed up going to kind of like a ministry t- a training college in Australia in that following year, which, which is a bit of a radical story in itself, and it was weird that my parents were even okay with that. And, and even then, I'm thinking, okay, I'll go back and pick up where I left with the BCom and, and finish up. And then got offered a job at our Tableview congregation at the time, which again, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but, but we'll figure it out. And then slowly but surely changed the, the studies to where it was more to do with, with theology and ministry. Um, but, but as I look back, I can go back to that, to that moment where God met with me, to then that, that camp that I went on the next week. And then just if I look at the season after that, how God just stirred my heart. And for the last 22 years of doing it full-time, I'm in the 23rd year, I can't tell you what a difference it makes to, to have a sense of purpose, to have a sense of calling where it's not just... And, and I know you may be saying, yeah, well, that's cool if it's the ministry, you know, you do this thing full-time. But I can tell you that there are, plenty, there are people sitting here in this hall right now that have full-time jobs, but that's not what they're living for. They've, they have discovered a sense of calling. They know that they need to do that and, and, and they want God to use them wherever they are at work but, but they're wanting to live for something yeah. much, much more. Let's be careful that we keep surrendering the wrong dream to God as well. The third uh, type of dream that we might have if you're sitting here this morning is a stale dream where you just get tired. And by the way, I think all of us, go, even, even those of us that even have a sense of purpose and calling, I think we can all go through these, these seasons where, we, where our dream just gets a little bit stale, where you just you're just cruising on autopilot and, and, and you're kind of just, just trying to get through the motions. You're trying to get through serving the community where you're serving the community, working at Isidema, uh, running your life group. Um, you know, you're trying to kind of be a witness at work. Uh, you're trying to raise your family up without you know, being a complete hypocrite. But, but we're kind of just on autopilot. And I think one of the greatest antidotes to that is actually taking time out. It's actually checking our pace. It's actually finding, finding space to just slow down long enough to, and you may have to be patient with this, to where you rest long enough to where you can actually hear God again, to where we actually allow God to, to re-envision us, to, 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 sharpen, to sharpen the focus of that particular dream. I don't have time to go through the whole story, but in 1 Kings chapter 19, there's this incredible story of one of the powerful, probably, Probably one of the most powerful prophets, if not the most highly regarded prophet in the Old Testament, Elijah, where, where he's just been involved in this incredible adventure for God and, and a whole bunch of stuff's gone on. The enemy have just been wiped out. And then the next day, he finds out that, that the queen, Jezebel, wants to kill him and he's like, I'm done. And he's just gone from the day before where God delivered him and delivered Israel and, and brought water in a rain after, after a few years of drought and, and 850 prophets of Baal have just been killed. And, and I mean, incredible victory, but... I just think he was so tired. He was so tired that, that, that even on the back of these incredible exploits, he was just empty. And God provided supernaturally where, where he woke him up like some birds. It was Mr. Delivery back in the Old Testament. Like they brought some bread. He eats. He's like, go back to sleep, Moses. I mean, Elijah, you're too tired. So he goes back to sleep, wakes him up again. The birds have brought more bread. Go back to sleep. And, and, then he, and then he makes him walk for 40 days. So he's like, 
sleep, eat, exercise. Sleep, eat, exercise. And back then, bread was okay. Okay? Any of the, the banting crew. Um, and then after 40 days, it's like Elijah was finally ready to actually hear God again. And God could give him clarity for the immediate next season. Go and anoint this king, go and anoint that king, go and anoint Elisha to take over from you as a prophet. So that he didn't finish poorly. He could finish strong because he allowed God to replenish him. He allowed God to give him rest. I mean, he'd lost all perspective. He's like, I'm all alone. The Bible says there were 7,000 other people. You know? um, and that's what happens when we're tired. We lose all perspective. Again, you may think you need marriage counseling. You may just need some more sleep. If I was the enemy, and I think that this is what he's doing, my single greatest strategy against you would be to keep you tired, over-caffeinated, underslept, over-social mediaed, over-seriesed, and, just, and, just, and keep you thinking that you're getting rest, but keeping you just surviving on fumes. That was for free. <laughs> a fourth type of person is maybe you're sitting here with a vague dream. It's a good one. It's just very broad. It's, it's just not specific enough. In Habakkuk 2, verse 2, the second part, says, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. So he may run who reads it. There is something so powerful to just writing it down. To write it down. Before you leave here just now, my hope is that you're going to have some stuff written down, something that you can go back to. I mean, there's all kinds of research and stuff that backs up this idea that when we write it down, we have something to hold us accountable, to look into. And I've got to tell you, there are times where where, where I need to remember what the vision is. I need to remember what I want to do with my grandkids one day because that's going to affect how I look after my body. That's going to affect how I look after my relationships. If I want to have a great relationship with my son-in-laws one day, well, I better have a great relationship with my daughters, and, and, and that's going to affect how I, how I interact with those guys one day, which in Taylor's case will be in about 15 to 20 years at least. But no, I'll be, to, be, to be very practical, if, I, if, I, if we look at our oldest daughter, she's had a relationship with a, a great young guy for several years. Most likely they'll get married. Um, there are cultural gaps in terms or differences in terms of the family. Micheline is originally from the DRC. Him and his family are from the DRC. Um, there are even things like Labola that we have to try and navigate. And we've heard all the jokes and made all the jokes. But, but at the end of the day, we've had to come to appreciate that this is a very real issue. So if I'm thinking, okay, I want to have a great relationship with my son-in-law one day. I want to have a great relationship with the kids. I want to be able to paddle down the Orange River. And I'm writing this stuff down. I want to be able to enjoy a family holiday paddling down the Orange River one day with, with my kids, my son-in-laws, my grandkids. That's going to affect how I navigate some things that maybe in the moment I'm thinking, I don't have time for this. I don't have energy for this. I don't, I don't have energy to work through the differences. Well, shut up. Of course you do because you have a vision for the future. If, we, if you know what kind of marriage you want to be enjoying 20 years from now, 30 years from now, if, if, if we're looking at, at what we want our marriage to look like when, when all of the kids are out of the house, that's going to influence how we nurture our relationship. If you know that one day you'd like to experience something, well, maybe that's going to influence how you budget, how you save, how you spend, or how you invest. And we're saying, God, 
Again, I'm committing that stuff to you. I know that you're telling me to give you and to invest there. I don't know how that's all going to work out in the end, but I'm going to keep obeying you, but God, I'm going to keep asking you to provide for this one day. And again, guys, I don't want to go into personal detail. I'm just telling you that there was every, our entire marriage, this is our 20th year, our entire marriage, there's always, with tithing is not, is not a question, it happens. Giving to, to soul and social justice, it happens. For, for the last several years, Zambia, it happens. Other stuff, like that's just part of our monthly thing. I cannot tell you how much God has provided. Like, I mean, really, I don't want to tell you because you'll be angry. Like, like, you'll get jealous and angry and ugly, and that's not a good look, so I'm just not going to tell you. But, but God has looked, again, mathematically, you may think, well, well, if we didn't do that, then maybe. Guys, I'm telling you, it's just like that same story. What, what I think we can do in 20 years, God can do in five days. Just over and over and over again. Write it down. Have a vision. Trust God. Lastly, lastly, please, for crying out loud, let it be a God-honoring dream. Listen, thing, there are things I want to experience, plenty. There are places I want to go, and if God allows it, I'll be thrilled. If he doesn't, I can't tell you how strong my conviction is. that if, For example, just, just crazy side note, I would love to go to Hawaii while I, before I die, and if I have enough energy to enjoy it and milk it, but I can honestly tell you before God that I know that if we don't ever get to do that kind of thing, which would also require a miracle, I believe heaven is a million times better than Hawaii. So, so what I'm saying is, like, I'm okay with the wish list, God, if, if you ever want to, but, but I don't live for that. That's, that cannot become the, the focus of my life. Getting into a house cannot become the focus of your life. Getting a car, or frankly, even getting an education. Guys, these things are, they're blessings, they're privileges. Let's, let's appreciate them, let's be grateful for them. But for crying out loud, let's not just spend everything we have in this life, let's invest into the next life in the way that we live, in the way that we spend. Let's have a God-honoring dream that is risky, that requires God's involvement, and that will change lives for eternity. This life is short. It's going to be over in a heartbeat. If we believe that heaven and hell are real and not just metaphors, then we're going to want to invest our lives with the future in mind. God, thank you so much for the holidays. Thank you so much for the blessings. Thank you so much for all these other things. But God, help, help us to see your kingdom. Help us to care about stuff that is eternal. I want to encourage you. Put down, put down your wish list. There's nothing wrong with it. Don't, don't feel bad about it. Don't apologize for it. And don't water it down. Let it be big. Let it be bold. But let that be the list. That's the wish list that we're surrendering to God. But I want to encourage you to have a list where you're saying, God, only you can come through. One day, I'm hoping, I'm praying that the building that we're in right now, that this becomes a dream center. I don't know how. It would take, it would take a truckload of money that we're not even close to having right now. We're having to trust God to just even buy more space next door to us so that we can expand so that we can serve more children, more families, that we can serve special needs kids who have almost nowhere to go. There are very few, if any, places where a family that have a special needs kid can actually go to church and know that they're being well looked after. But, but there's some of you that are sitting and God has put a dream in your heart to do something to do with rehabilitation, to do something with a halfway house, to do something that meets a particular need with women, to do something 
that helps connect the dots for people that, that have questions about faith. God has actually put stuff in you. And by the way, that's why I can honestly tell you, I'm relaxed. I'm relaxed in that we don't have to run ahead of you. We don't have to run ahead of, of the giving. We don't have to run ahead of the people. We, we want to run at the pace that God stirs up dreams inside of your heart. That's even why our volunteers are called our dream teams because we believe that God has put a dream into every person. And I'm not saying that what they're doing on a Sunday or when they're running a life group, that that's necessarily the end picture of the dream. But I do believe that God has put gifts and desires into every person. And if you don't know what that might be, come to Growth Track and we'll help you start the journey. But God has a dream. God has a dream for our community. God has a dream for our city. Let's change our prayers to where we're just asking God to bless us, to where we're saying, God, what do you care about? What are you blessing? What are you wanting to resource? How do you want us to get involved with you? Won't you stand with me for a moment? I want to read one last passage to you. It's a story about, about a blind man that, that comes into, into the proximity of Jesus. And, and I know that this is speaking about a literal blind man, but I want you to think for a moment about the parallel with where so many of us are at. Mark 8.22 says that when they arrived in Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. And by the way, I've, I've taught a little bit, but I'm wanting God to touch you. And they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. That's why some of us need to find time where we pull aside where we go aside, where we get away from some of the naysayers, and those could even be Christians, by the way. You may need to not share with some Christians if they don't have the faith, if they don't have the the perspective. Then, spitting on the man's eyes. How'd you like that formula if you brought your friend to Jesus? Like, no, Jesus, not the spit thing, right? Sometimes if we're not willing to embrace the mess, we're not open to the miracle. Spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands. Now, by the way, just say spitting on his eyes. I, mean, I know there's one other story where he spits in the dirt. I don't know if he actually spat on his eyes. I mean, that's hectic, right? Imagine, like, what is that? Anyway, spitting on his, sorry, side note. He laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around and said, yes, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly they look like trees walking around. Now, of course, the question is, how does he know what trees look like? Is, is it possible that maybe he could see before and he lost his sight? Again, I think there'd be many people standing here this morning where you've seen before, you've had a vision, you've had a dream, but you've lost your sight. And where God actually wants to bring it back to you. Jesus then placed his hands on the man's eyes again. And that's why we want you to dream again. And his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored. He could see everything clearly. He could see his his family again through healed eyes. He could see his work again through healed eyes. He could see his community clearly. He could see his future clearly. I believe that God wants us to dream again.